The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. I want you to think of the coolest person that you know. I want you to think of that person that you think about them and you're like, man, I just wish I was that person. Maybe they have more followers on Instagram like you want. Maybe they have the physique that you want. They're just a cool person. Now, I know it's going to be hard not to think of Pastor Nathan, but try to go outside of the realm of Broadway. It's okay, you give me your second coolest person. Maybe for you, you want to be like one of the Avengers, man. Like you look at Thor, you look at Chris Hemsworth, and you want to kind of bulk up like him. You think he's one of the coolest guys. Or maybe it's not Thor, maybe it's Captain America. Maybe you want to be more like Chris Evans, or maybe more like Chris Pratt or Chris Pine. Really, any of the Chris's will do. They're all pretty cool. Or maybe for you, you want to be like more of like a Selena Gomez type of person or a Zendaya. You know, you want that clout. You want those, the, that social media following. You want that influence. For me, growing up, the person I always wanted to be like, the person that I strived to be when I was eight years old was, of course, Captain Jack Sparrow. Come on, somebody. From Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow was the coolest person in my eight-year-old mind. And I strive to want to be like him. And I really try to embody the character of Jack Sparrow. So I want you to imagine for a second, eight-year-old little Nathan walking around, acting and talking like Jack Sparrow. And you know how ca- Captain Jack Sparrow walks, right? He kind of does the little wobble, you know, because he's drunk. I didn't know that at the time. But I would walk around like this, eight-year-old Nathan, and I would say stuff like, savvy. And I thought in my mind, I was so cool. I think deep down what I really wanted was I wanted to be one of the cool kids. Obviously, it didn't really work out. It kind of backfired on me, but that's what I was longing for. I, I wanted to be one of the cool kids. I wanted people to look at me and to think, man, that guy is cool. That guy has it all together. Really, what I was longing for was that I wanted to be in the in crowd. And I think we all kind of long to want to be in the in crowd. We want people to look at us and think they've got it all together. They have it made and people want to be more like us. I think all of us long to be in this in crowd. Now for the past few weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we've called the in crowd. And the whole idea behind this series is that we're looking at the idea about how there's actually an in crowd when it comes to the Bible. All throughout the Bible, Christians are referred to in different ways, but by and far the biggest way they're referred to is of in Christ. And so we've been exploring this idea of what it means to be in Christ. And we've actually been looking at five different lies that we all face in our lives. Five different lies that we all have to come to grips with and have to challenge as they're thrown our way. Week one, we talked about the lie that you're all alone. That there's no one else struggling like you're struggling. The addictions you're facing, the problems you're facing, that's all unique to you. You're all alone. Last week we talked about the lie that you're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes to be able to live the Christian life. You don't, you're not smart enough to figure out how to resist temptation. You're not smart enough. The next lie is that you're damaged goods. The next one is that you're powerless. And the final one is that your future is hopeless. And I think many of us look at that list of five lies and one of them in particular sticks out to us. One of them sticks out as not quite seeming so much of a lie to us. For many of us watching today, we look at the third lie that you're damaged goods and you look at that and you say, Nathan, that is not a lie. You don't get it. That's my reality. I am damaged goods. I'm reminded of it every single day I look in the mirror. 
Maybe you wake up every morning with an overwhelming sense of shame in your life because of your past, because of what you've done or what's been done to you. Every day you wake up and you you feel this shame, you feel this worthlessness, you feel like you're damaged goods. Nathan, you have no idea the rap sheet that I've built up over the years. You have no idea the addictions that I struggle with. You have no idea the people that I've hurt. Every day, it's like I have this dirt that's caked onto my skin, and no matter how hard I scrub it off, no matter how hard I try to clean myself up, it's just not working. I am damaged goods. I am worthless. I am ashamed. I'm ugly. For many of us today, this is how we feel. For many of us today, this is our reality. We feel worthless. We feel ashamed. We feel ugly. Maybe you're here today and this is how you feel. Maybe this is your reality. Well, there's actually somebody in the Bible that I think would fit this description pretty well. There's somebody in the Bible who at one moment in time, he comes to grip with his sin and everything that he had done in his past. And he wakes up with this overwhelming sense of worthlessness, shame, and ugliness in his life. The person that I'm talking about is a guy named Saul in the Bible. Saul is found in the New Testament. And if there is anybody who has damaged goods, it was Saul. See, Saul was a Pharisee. And what we know about the Pharisees is that they were like the Bible scholars of their day. If you had a question about the Old Testament, you would go to a Pharisee. These guys memorized the Old Testament and they followed the law to a T. They would actually make up new laws to help them to not break the real laws that were in the Old Testament. And these guys really were good at following uh, the Old Testament. The problem is that they would look down on people around them that weren't quite as good as them and they would look at them and they would say, what worthless, shameful, ugly sinners around me. Get them as far away from me as possible. I don't want to be near them. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus starts to preach a different message, a message of grace, a message of forgiveness. And the very same sinners that the Pharisees wanted to stay away from, Jesus came and he he befriended them. He got close to them. And he, he, he preached this gospel of forgiveness, grace, and love. And this threatened the Pharisees' religious power. So the Pharisees worked really hard to try and stamp out this religion of Christianity, the, these people who were in Christ that started to pop up. And after Jesus was killed, buried, and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, along comes Saul. And Saul, if there was ever a Pharisee that was great, it was Saul. Saul followed the law to a T. He was so religious, had so much religious zeal for the Old Testament and Judaism that he made it his ultimate goal to stamp out Christianity. He made that his life mission. He would look at all these people around him that were still following Jesus, these people who were in Christ, and he would say, this is, this is a problem. I need to get rid of them. And so Saul used less than honorable methods to do this. He would have Christians arrested, He would have them beaten. Sometimes he would even have them killed. See, Saul had a personal vendetta against people who were in Christ. And in one moment, he comes to grip with his sin. In one moment, he comes to grip with everything that he's been doing, all the wrong of his past, and his world is flipped upside down. We're going to read in Acts chapter 9 that moment. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says this. It's going to be on the screen. 
It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that is, those who were in Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I want you to think of one of the biggest regrets you have in your life. I want you to think of that moment, maybe you ate something, maybe you bought something, but you realized your mistake and that regret kind of sank in. You realized that was a really bad idea, but there was no going back. For me, that happened when I was 17 years old. And I want to tell you about the time that I bought an $80 nail filing kit. I'm going to say that again. I bought an $80 nail filing kit. Nathan, why do you need an $80 nail filing kit? I didn't. I don't know why I bought it. Have you ever been to the mall and you go through those long hallways and there's those vendors in the middle of the mall that kind of try to pull you over and try to sell you stuff? You're like, oh, hey, you're signing up for this phone plan that you don't need. Well, I always would would just walk past those guys. I don't even want to see them, right? I don't need what they're selling, so I'm just going to walk right past them. But then I started feeling kind of bad for these guys. These guys work off commission. Everything that they get in terms of money comes from the sales that they make. And here I am walking right past them, trying to ignore them. The least I could do is at least listen to them. The least I could do is hear them out and see what what it is they're selling. I want to tell you, you should never do that. They have this way with their words and they'll sweet talk you into buying something that you absolutely do not need. So I'm 17 years old, I'm walking through the mall, I'm going to get a haircut, something I wish I could do now, but I can't. Uh, I'm walking through to get a haircut, and this guy calls me over, cosmetic booth. I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to go see what this guy has to say. And he takes out this little nail filing brick thing, and he starts to like put it on my fingernail. And without any nail polish or anything like that, just using that brick, all of a sudden my finger was shiny. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool but I don't really want shiny fingernails. So sorry, bro, I don't, I don't really want to buy this. And he's like, well, hold up, hold up. Do you have a girlfriend? No. Oh, well, do, do you have, do you have a, a mom or a sister? And I was like, yeah, I have one of those. He's like, well, this would make a great Christmas gift. And all of a sudden, he started talking and it just started making so much sense. And before I knew it, I'm pulling out my wallet and I'm giving him my debit card. I'm like, what is going on? And then I walk away with this bag of an $80 nail filing kit and I walk to the escalator and I stop and my heart sinks and I think, why did I just buy this? All I had that day was $80. I went to go get a haircut. I didn't have enough money to get my haircut after that. So I tried to go back to return it, but it was no refunds. I remember in that moment, that mistake kind of, that regret sinking in and realizing that I had made a terrible decision and that there was no going back. And I feel like to a way higher extent, this is what Saul is feeling in this moment. He lived his whole life to stamp out this religion of Christianity, those who were in Christ. He thought that this was a phony religion and everything. And in one moment, his world is flipped upside down, where suddenly he sees the risen Christ and he realizes the error of his ways. His mistakes sink in. And I can't imagine the types of regrets 
that started flowing through his head. I can't imagine how much shame he must have felt. I mean, can you imagine anything worse than somebody actively trying to hunt down and get rid of your children? Because that is what Saul has been doing with God's children, those who've been adopted into God's family. And in one moment, his world just flips up upside down. In one moment, he went from thinking he was a good person to suddenly realizing, oh no, I'm a worthless, shameful, ugly sinner. I can't imagine the must, how much shame Saul must have felt. He feels like there's this rough dirt that's on his skin and he can't wash it away. And we know Saul felt this way because later on he writes to a friend in 1 Timothy 1.15 He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, Saul recognized that he was the worst of all sinners. That his rap sheet that he had built up over the years of all the bad things he had done in his life had finally caught up to him. And he realized just what a terrible person that he was. And yet, despite all of that, despite everything that Saul had done, God used him. Remember, Saul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. If you didn't know, Saul actually changed his name to Paul. And he was used by God to preach in front of thousands of people. He was used by God to to start dozens of churches. He actually wrote half of the New Testament. I mean, if there's anybody who was too far gone, if there's anybody who was the worst of all sinners, any worthless, shameful, ugly sinner, it was Saul. And yet God used him to do crazy, miraculous things. Completely changes his life around. So why do you think God would use Saul so greatly? Why do you think God would use the worst of all sinners to do something incredible for God? I think it's because God wants us to know that if I can use the worst of all sinners, I can use you too. If I can turn the person who is actively trying to get rid of Christians into the biggest advocate for Christ, I can definitely change your life around. If I can forgive somebody who actively tried to hunt down my children, I can forgive you as well and I can use you. You see, Saul was damaged goods, but through God's forgiveness and grace in his life, his life was completely changed around and God still used him. And if God can do that with Saul, God can do that with you as well. I know what you're thinking though. Nathan, that's great that that worked out for Saul, but I just can't pretend like that my past didn't happen. That's great that it worked out for Saul, but me, I've got a rap sheet and I just can't forgive myself. I can't make light of my past. I feel so worthless. I feel so ashamed. I feel so ugly. Every day I wake up with the weight of my past weighing me down. Every day I come to grips. Every time I work into a, uh, walk into a church, I, I, I look at the people around me and I feel so bad about myself. It's just not possible. I can't make light of my sin. I can't forget it ever happened. And to that I would say good. Because I don't think you should forget about your past. I don't think you should make light of your sin. See, I think that there's a lie that we sometimes believe that says that if we're to accept God's grace and forgiveness in our lives, it means making light of our past. 
It means making it seem like our sin in our life wasn't really that big of a deal. If I'm to accept God's gift of forgiveness, that means I have to pretend like my past never happened. But nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that our sin isn't a big deal. In fact, it says the opposite. Our sin is the thing that put Christ on the cross. Our sin is a big deal, but it's not bigger than God's grace. And we see that play out in the life of Saul. Saul was the worst of all sinners. If anyone was damaged goods, it was him. And yet God turned him around and used him for great things. So I'm not asking you to forget about your past. I'm asking you to respond to it differently. You see, there are two ways of responding to our past. And these are on your outline if you're taking notes. There's two ways. There's guilt and there's shame. On the surface, they seem like the same thing, but they could not be more different. If you're taking notes, write this down. Guilt is acknowledging the wrong that you've done. Shame is internalizing the wrong that you've done. It's a subtle difference, but it's huge. Guilt is acknowledging the wrong that you've done. Shame is internalizing the wrong that you've done. Let me put it this way. Guilt says, I failed. Shame says, I'm a failure. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I did an ugly thing. Shame says, I am ugly. You see, guilt says, I am in need of a savior. Shame says, I'm too far gone. Guilt drives us towards a forgiving God, but shame keeps us shackled to our past because we believe the lie that we're damaged goods. But God doesn't want us to forget about our past. He just doesn't want us to let it define us. Respond to your past with guilt, not shame. Let your past drive you towards a loving Savior that can forgive you. Don't internalize that. Don't let that define who you are. Because if you're in Christ, that's not who you are anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the same person who did the horrible atrocities against the family of God would later write this. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, there's that in Christ again. He is a new creation. This is no longer who you are. The old has passed away. The new has come. So don't let your past keep you away from God. Let it drive you towards him because he wants to give you a new identity. And if you're in Christ, you already have that new identity. Now I know we've all been staring at these words on this board here. And for many of us, we look at these words and we think, Nathan, you got it right. That's how I view myself. That, that defines me perfectly. Every day I come to grips with my worthlessness. Every day I realize my shame and my ugliness because of my past. I am damaged goods. The heaviness of your past is weighing you down. And you've tried everything to fix it. You've gone to church. You've tried to read your Bible more. And you try to outweigh the bad things with more good things. But no matter how hard you try, you still have this dirt all over your skin. And no matter how hard you wash it away, it's not coming off. It's this rough dirt that's caked on. And you eventually start to believe the lie that this is just who I am. There's no saving me. I'm damaged goods. You see, without Christ... This is our reality. Without Christ, for those who are not in Christ, this is what we have to come to grips with. We feel worthless. We feel ashamed. We feel ugly. 
but those who are in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. See, this is our reality without Christ, but that's because Christ hasn't entered the situation yet. You see, when Christ comes into our life, oftentimes we will have a moment like Saul did where all of a sudden our life gets totally mixed upside down and, we, and it's all over the place and we feel, we come to grips with our sin, we come to grips with our shame and we feel worthless and we, we realize our sin. But then Christ enters the situation and says, no, that's not who you are anymore. I'm going to give you a new identity. You see, all of that shame that you felt, that's the old you. All of the, the dirt that was caked onto your skin, that's not you anymore. I want to come and pick up the broken pieces of your life. I know you have a past. I know you have shame. I know you feel worthless. I know you feel ugly, but I want to pick up the broken pieces of your life and I want to rewrite your story. I want to take your worthlessness and I want to turn it around for the good. Remember, if God can save the worst of all sinners, he can definitely save you. We see this play out in the life of Saul and it can play out in your life as well. For those who are in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. God wants to come into your life, your broken, your messy life, and he wants to take these pieces. He wants to rewrite your story. He wants to give you a new identity. He, he looks at your past. He says, yeah, you've got dirt and you can't get it off yourself, but I can get it off for you. He picks up those broken pieces. He rewrites our story and that is no longer our life. Before, we were worthless, ashamed, and ugly. But those who are in Christ, there's a new story. That new story is that the cross washes all my rough dirt. If you came into this place and this online service today and you felt that worthlessness, you felt that shame, you felt that ugliness, God wants to give you a new identity. He says, that's not who you are anymore. This is your new story. For those who are in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. He wants to take your shame. He wants to turn it around. If God can take the worst of all sinners and rewrite his story to say this, he can most definitely do it with you as well. In Christ, your shame is no longer your new reality. This is your new reality. This is what God wants to do in your life. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Your past doesn't weigh you down anymore. God wants to give you a new reality, a new identity. Today, this is our big idea. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is our, because this is your new identity. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is your big idea. The cross washes all my rough dirt. But I don't want you to just write down the big idea. I want you to actually scratch out the line on top of that that says, I am worthless, I am ashamed, and I am ugly. Because God doesn't just give us a new identity, but he takes away the old one as well. God wants to come into your life, take away the shame, and give you a bright new future. One that isn't defined by your past. One that isn't defined by your sin or what people have done to you. You are no longer damaged goods, but you can be used by God because God's grace is so much greater than your sin. The sin that was weighing you down, paid for. The shame that kept you shackled to your past, removed. 
the dirt that you was on your skin, that rough dirt that you couldn't wash away, has been washed away by the cross because of what Jesus has done for you. You are no longer defined by your sin. You are defined by his goodness. You are no longer defined by your inadequacies. You are defined by his perfection. You are no longer defined by your imperfection. You're defined by his righteousness. If he, for, if he can forgive the worst of all sinners, he can forgive you as well. The only question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Or are you still living with your old identity, that old reality of your shame weighing you down? Are you tired of having that shame weigh you down? Are you tired of feeling worthless? Are you tired of feeling ashamed? Are you tired of feeling ugly? Because God wants to take that away and give you a new identity, a new reality. All you have to do is accept it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. And if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus before, I want to lead you in a short prayer to have you make that decision and decide to follow him today. And so wherever you are, whether you're at home in your living room, bedroom, kitchen, whether you're with friends or you're by yourself, if you feel that pounding on your chest or that stirring in your heart, I want you to know that that's God's Holy Spirit and he's drawing you close to him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is accept it. So if that's you today, I want to lead you in a short prayer. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Just have an open heart to God. Say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've turned my own way and I've done my own thing. God, I don't deserve your love. I could never earn your love. But today I choose to accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. I know I won't be perfect, but I know that I'm a child of God. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. And God, for everybody else here who's feeling their shame, maybe they're in Christ already, but they can't let go of their past. They, they're, they're letting it define them. God, I, I pray that you would give them the strength to live in the new reality, that they are forgiven, that they are chosen, and you, have, and you have called them to a bright future, God. Let us be defined by your righteousness, not by our past. God, we thank you for what you've done in our hearts today, and we thank you for what you will continue to do in our lives this week. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Hey, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today for the first time, that is amazing. And we want to celebrate with you. Make sure to tell somebody about it. You can respond. We have prayer leaders that are available on whatever platform that you're watching this on. Please reach out to one of us. We want to pray with you and talk with you about what your next steps are. And as we close, before you click away, we as a church are going to be joining in with communion. Uh, Pastor Lewis is going to be leading in, in that with us right now. So have a great Sunday.